This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. Now, in today's episode, we're focusing on around verses uh, 6 through to 8 of Seneca's 12th letter on old age. Now, if you remember the previous episode, we were discussing Seneca's thoughts on on finding the pleasure that exists in all seasons of life, including that that final season of life where you're kind of on that downward slope towards your death. Uh, and he's recognizing the pleasure that exists in that period of his life and, and talking about that. And Now, these next few verses, Seneca is kind of giving us a way to look at our lives where we break it into the seasons and then break it even further right down to the day. Uh, And and this is a really interesting idea that I'd like to kind of contrast with an idea found in the Bible uh, of of kind of bringing our attention back to this moment uh, and this day, which really, in a way, does represent the entire uh, life that we live. And it's interesting, this is uh, one of the times where Seneca also quotes Heraclitus. We know that Heraclitus was a big influence on the Stoics, uh, especially with his idea of the, the Logos, uh, that kind of mediating force between, uh, you know, the chaos and order. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, yeah, there's, there's just some really interesting stuff in these few passages, and I'm excited to dive in deeper. So I'll read all the way through, and then we'll see what we can find in it. So Seneca says, quote, Our span of life is divided into parts. It consists of large circles enclosing smaller. One circle embraces and bounds the rest. It reaches from birth to the last day of existence. The next cycle limits the period of our young manhood. The third confines all of our childhood in its circumference. Again, there is, in a class by itself, the year. It contains within itself all the divisions of time by the multiplication of which we get the total of life. The month is bounded by a narrow ring. The smallest circle of all is the day, but even a day has its beginning and its ending, its sunrise and its sunset. Hence Heraclitus, whose obscure style gave him his surname, remarked, One day is equal to every day. Different persons have interpreted the saying in different ways. Some hold that days are equal in number of hours, and this is true. For if by day we mean 24 hours of time, all days must be equal, inasmuch as the night acquires what the day loses. But others maintain that one day is equal to all days through resemblance, because the very longest space of time possesses no element which cannot be found in a single day, namely light and dark. And even to eternity, day makes these alternations more numerous, not different when it is shorter and different again when it is longer. Hence, every day ought to be regulated as if it closed out the series, as if it rounded out and completed our existence. Pesuvius, who by long occupancy made Syria his own, used to hold a regular burial sacrifice in his own honour with wine and the usual funeral feasting, and then would have himself carried from the dining room to his chamber, while eunuchs applauded and sang in Greek to a musical accompaniment. He has lived his life, he has lived his life. Thus, Pesuvius had himself carried out to burial every day, 
Let us, however, do from a good motive what he used to do from a debased motive. Let us go to our sleep with joy and gladness. Let us say, I have lived, the course which fortune set for me is finished. And if God is pleased to add another day, we should welcome it with glad hearts. That man is happiest and is secure in his own possession of himself, who can await the morrow without apprehension. When a man has said, I have lived, every morning he arises, he receives a bonus. End quote. All right, so there's so many interesting ideas to pick apart in here, and I'm really excited to kind of contrast this with uh, with uh, some verses from the Bible as well, which I think pair together beautifully with what Seneca is saying. But, you know, it's, it, it's good timing that I'm recording this because I just came back from a conversation with a close friend uh, who lives here on the Sunshine Coast, a wonderful pianist, and uh, we were kind of discussing the limitations of goal setting, right? Because what happens when you set a goal? If you set a goal really distant in the future, uh, what might happen is as you move towards that goal, there's going to be shifts and changes. There's going to be so many different things that will come in your way and, and, and shift your direction. And you kind of want to be open to those shifts in direction because it could very likely be the case that if, if, if you followed that shift in direction, it would take you to a much better place uh, than you would have gone to if you had have even achieved your goal. A good way to think about this uh, comes from Chris Voss. He's the negotiator who teaches people all around the world. I think he was in the American CIA or something like that. He was a hostage negotiator. And he says, don't be so sure about what you want that you wouldn't recognize and accept a better offer. And that is brilliant advice. And that really works with, with, with goal setting, right? Because you need to be aware that when you set a goal, you don't want to be so sure that that's exactly what you want, that you wouldn't take something that is way better for you and for the people around you. And I've really been experimenting with that over the past year or so, because I don't really set long-term goals. What I do is I get a pen and paper out and I write a list of things that I think would be good if I was able to achieve them. And then I also write down a whole bunch of lists of, of, of things that I can do in this moment that would get me closer to that. So that's, you know, it's kind of like a to-do list uh, more than it is a specific goal list. And, and I'm not saying that it's not necessary for us to have a long-term vision for our life, but I guess what I've learned is that how you go to where you're going is far more important than where you are going. Firstly, because how the hell do you know where you're going, right? You don't know what's happening tomorrow or the next day or next week or the next year. You don't know what roadblocks are coming your way. You need a framework through which you can flow through the circumstances of your life, moving in a good direction, right? Because you're, because you're focusing on the how you're going to get there. And what I've noticed, I've really noticed this, as I've focused more on the how, I have arrived at destinations that are far greater than I ever could have planned in my mind. And that has truly been my experience as I've, as I've shifted my focus from, you know, setting these long-term goals for this is exactly where I want to be. And, and I've kind of sat back into more the modality by which I navigate through the challenges of my life. I'm finding that, that I'm strengthening myself. And at the same time, I'm moving in a direction that is natural. There's a natural flow about it. And I'm finding that I'm arriving at these places uh, in terms of the way that I feel, the way that I see the world, uh, my education 
sensation, you know, the, the meaning that I experience, I'm arriving at these places that I feel surpass that which I could have imagined in my mind and set as a goal. And so that's why we were kind of discussing this today in our conversation with me and my friend at the limitation of goal setting, because you really, you want to be able to flow, especially if you're a highly open person like myself, very creative, artistic, you want to find that kind of flow of life, that natural flow of life. And you want to focus on the how first and the where will naturally flow as you develop a, to a greater extent that how. And so you're probably wondering, how does this all relate to what Seneca is saying? I'd like to, to kind of jump into a, thing, a few things that he said and then bring it all together uh, with the verses from the Bible as well. So, you know, he's kind of describing that life can fit into these kind of enclosing circles. You've got the giant circle that goes from our birth to our death. You know, you've got your childhood, your early manhood, you've got, uh, you know, the end of your life. But then even all of that breaks down even smaller in, into smaller circles and you can bring it down to the year, to the month, to the day. And, and so th there's this beautiful image that he's painting here of, of, of these different times and seasons of our life that, that can be broken down into smaller and smaller parts. And then he gives us that quote from Heraclitus, right, saying, one day is equal to every day. And he does a very interesting thing here where he points out the exact kind of thing that I was trying to tell you in the previous episode, uh, where Sharon LaBelle was talking about uh, the Bible and not following the plot, but following the meaning that exists within all of, uh, uh, with all of the stories, right? And so Seneca talks about how some people interpret that to mean that, well, of course, every day has 24 hours. And so Heraclitus must have meant uh, that, uh, that every day was equal because they have the same amount of hours. But that's kind of a superficial reading of that quote. And he says that, you know, others maintain that one day is equal to all days through resemblance. Resemblance being the key word there. What does that mean? How that day is like all the other days or is like all the other enclosing circles of our life, right? He's looking at what it means and, and, and what, the, what the, the, the commonalities are between a day and other aspects of our life, right? Uh, namely, he, he, he points out that there is light and darkness as a beginning and an end. You know, these are the elements of a day that if you look at that and if you look at how that relates to, to the rest of your life, uh, then you can really get some deeper wisdom. But just pointing out that it's 24 hours doesn't really give you much, much wisdom, right? And, and so this is a very interesting point that he makes, right? It's very in line with the Stoic way of, of, of seeking wisdom by finding that which is common among all things, right? That's wisdom. And, uh, and, and that's often how it is described by the Stoics. Uh, and so, Really interesting thoughts here that he gives, but the most important thing that he says is every day ought to be regulated as if it closed out the series, as if it rounded out and completed our existence. And he goes on to say that, uh, you know, you want to act each day as if you have lived, as if the course of fortune set for you is finished, right? And so what does this mean? He's talking not about what you're doing, he's talking about how you're doing it. He's talking about how you live your life each day. And he's focusing on this classic Stoic idea that if you aim at virtue, right, if you're aiming at the highest possible good, you can think of it like that, then you can focus on your day and you can round out your life every single day. You don't need to be anxious for what's going to happen tomorrow because if you get another day, then awesome. But if you don't, then at least you've 
rounded off your life in a beautiful way and you've you've not left anything undone. You know, you've lived an honorable life. And if you live an honorable life in one day, and if you decide that every day you're going to try and be guided by honor and virtue and duty, these good things, if you focus on those first, then you can have a steady flow through all of the enclosing circles of your life while still focusing on that kind of smallest part that you can conceive of. And there's something truly brilliant about this idea. And, and I, never, I never understood this as well as I did uh, when I heard Jordan Peterson talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount and his interpretation of a few verses there, because it's, it, it's almost the exact same idea replicated in the biblical stories. And I think it does a little bit of a better job than Seneca of, of showing us how this is actually the case, that this would be a good thing for you in your life. And so I'll read these verses from from Matthew, the Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 to 34. And you'll all recognize these because they're some of the most uh, classic poetic lines ever written, right? Uh, So it goes like this. And why take ye thought for the raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Alright, so I'm going to contrast these few verses with the kind of Stoic way that we understand, right? Now, the Stoics suggest that the ultimate goal of life is, is to have that eudaimonia, that flourishing life in agreement with nature, meaning both in agreement of the nature of the whole, as well as the nature uh, that is, is within you, your own personal nature, who you are. And we know that the sage, as described by Seneca, is somebody who follows those natural promptings for those natural good things that humans seek, right? And they're always aimed at the highest possible good. Now, that is the key, right? The key is aim at the highest possible good and you will have that natural flow through your your life and you will be a fortress, right? Uh, Where almost kind of like the Taoist idea, you'll be like water that flows around obstacles, right? And, and, And is able to find that inner peace at any any stage in your life because you're aimed in the proper manner. And that virtue is the most important thing because, you know, the, the in agreement with nature is the destination, that flourishing is the destination, but virtue is the way, that is the path, that is how you go about getting there, right? And so we see these few verses in here. The, the big key, right, is that verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let's say that the kingdom of God is the highest possible good, or to the Stoics, virtue, right? The highest possible good that you can conceive of. Now, if you seek first the kingdom of God, that is when, Jesus says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, look at that last line. 
and how it relates to uh, the the passage where it talks about seeking the kingdom of God and how that relates to what Seneca is saying, right? So seek ye first the kingdom of God or virtue or the highest possible good. If you do that, then all you need to focus on in your life is this moment, this day, what's happening today. Because if you can replicate that game over every single day of your life, then things will turn out for you as well as they could turn out. Because the order that you have your priorities in, in terms of of what you're aiming at, is in its correct natural position, right? It's correct natural order. Because you've got virtue first, I'm going to do whatever it is that I'm doing today at the best possible level I can do it, right? I'm going to face each thing that I do today with honor, with virtue, with duty, with courage, with discipline. You know, I'm going to face everything that I do with the highest possible good in mind. And if I do that, then I can focus just on this moment and I don't need to worry so much about what's going to happen tomorrow because I'm taking care of the matters as they come to me in the best possible way. Now, I really hope that I'm describing this in in a way that you guys are able to understand this because this has been a revolutionary uh, kind of thought for me to to, to, uh, meditate on over the past year and a half, and it's completely changed the way that I do things. And it really relates to what Seneca is saying because he says at the end here, right, uh, that the man is happiest and is secure in his own possession of himself who can await the morrow without apprehension. When the man has said, I have lived, every morning he arises, he receives a bonus. So he doesn't need to worry about tomorrow because he recognizes that he's rounding out his life every single day because everything that he does, he focuses on doing it the right way, at the right time, in the right place, in the proper order, with the proper aim being not what he's doing, but how he's doing it, right? And so that's also takes us back to this idea that we've uh, heard from Seneca earlier about how, you know, the, the, the wise man makes use of everything, right? The wise man knows how to use everything, but he needs nothing. Whereas the fool needs everything and doesn't know how to use anything. Right? It's because the wise man focuses, you can see these keys coming together here, the wise man focuses on virtue, and so everything that he uses, he will use to the best of his ability, with the highest good in mind, and he will use it for its intended purpose, and therefore he will get the intended benefit from using it. And so, again, this is just such an interesting idea that I've been experimenting with. This is something that you have to experiment with in your life and see the results. It's not something that you should just say yes or no to, because it sounds like kind of a mystical idea. It sounds kind of like a hippie idea, right? You know, this idea of focus on the moment, man. Uh, but it's not like that, because because there's a proper order here. If you just focus on the order, sorry, on the on the moment, you might find that you end up you living your life like a hedonist because it's like, well, you know, take no thought for the morrow. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do today. But that's not how you do it. You aim first at the highest possible good or the kingdom of God or virtue or whatever you call it, right? The best way you can possibly do things in your life. And if you aim at that first, then you can focus on your day, your hour, your minute, your moment, because then you're taking care of things how they need to be taken care of and you don't need to worry so much about what's coming because you know that no matter what comes, you're going to face it with that same virtue, that same aim at the highest possible good, which will bring about that which would be best for you in your life. 
And I just think that that is a brilliant idea and I've been experimenting with this in my life and it's changing the way that I see my life, it's changing the way I see the world and it's changing the way that I show up each day and what I focus on. And, uh, and there definitely does seem to be some kind of flourishing uh, you know, experience where you're on an adventure. It's not you're moving towards something that you really want. It's like you're waiting to see what happens next as you put things in their proper order. And what happens next is often better than what I could have asked for you know, if I had have set a goal like I was talking about at the start. And so uh, just an interesting thought for you to think about in your own life. You know, how could you, how could you focus more on, on how you do things, right, as opposed to what you're doing? And if you were to do that, would that mean that you could focus on what happens today, still recognizing that we need to take care of what is happening tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that? But when you take care of the things today that need to get taken care of, and if you use that as the game by which you will be playing throughout your entire life, then you can just focus on the day. And tomorrow, if you get a tomorrow, you will focus on the things of tomorrow. And the next day, you will focus on the things of the next day. But for today, you focus on doing what you have to do with the highest possible good in mind. And, and that, I think, is a formula for a, a very, very meaningful life. And it certainly has, uh, uh, has appeared to be that way for me as I've experimented with it. So anyway, I hope I've done a good job of explaining this idea. If I haven't, please ask questions, send me an email, uh, whatever you need to do, because I, 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 want, I want people to understand this idea because it has been so helpful for me. And, uh, and uh, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I guess we'll talk to you in the next one. Ciao.